Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of the Rodcast, the Rodman Steele Studios podcast. I'm Emily Beatty. And I'm Rodman Steele. So nice to see you all today. Yes, we're very glad to have you. I hope you've enjoyed our latest series. Today, we're going to be starting a new one. Today, we're starting a new series, and uh, I am titling it, What Makes Music? Okay, let's do it. um, In this series, we're going to be talking about a variety of questions that have to do with just music more generally, right? A lot of our other series get more specific, talking about a specific band or a style of music, but today we're gonna be starting a series talking about more general music concepts, music terms, music, you know, history and philosophy broadly, that kind of thing. And um, so today we're starting with with a lecture I guess, discussion really, okay. that I'm titling, What Makes Music Music? Wonderful. I'm excited, so, and I do not know what you mean by that. I have an idea, but I, I don't know what you mean. Perfect. Sounds great. Well, we'll get into it. So, what makes music music? Which kind of, we have to start with the question, what is music? Okay. So, if I were to ask you that, what is music? What would you answer? I would say music, I've liked the definition that music is art and time. Mm. Uh, and I would say it's art and time. I think, first of all, with art, art is expression. Mm-hmm. I just think it, it, it is it is a, someone expressing something that someone to someone else mm-hmm. um, in the broadest sense, and I believe that. And then I believe music is notes and rhythms. Okay. So that okay. that that that's my idea of, okay. of the most basic thing. It has to be an expression. It has to have notes and it has to have rhythm of some sense. Okay, I I think that's a pretty good like working definition of what music is. So, because because what you're getting at there is you have you're talking about intention, right? With there has to be if it's an expression that implies that there's someone that created it, right? So it's not just ambient noise coming from nature. Yeah. Or it has some kind of recipient. If it's an expression, maybe someone is perceiving the expression and they're appreciating it. So there's a listener and there's Mm -hmm. a creator. And that's a pretty common definition of music that a lot of philosophers have used, that music is sound that has an intention behind it and potentially also an organization. Okay. And the organization is what you've just described with rhythms and and notes, right? Because you're getting at there's a pitch element and there's a yeah. time element. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. That that's all I'm saying. Exactly. I was I was scared <laughs> to to say that cuz I didn't know if you were going to judge my uh if if that was too broad or no, too No, that's or too very loose. that's a very Cuz I know you got upset about my uh um being a big fan of Radiohead, uh, okay. apparently. I wasn't upset about it. I thought it was funny because you love Radiohead. I do. And I do. and we're we are gonna have a good tie into Radiohead later okay. later okay. in this lecture, fine, so you'll fine. enjoy that. But anyway, so but yes, <laughs> this is this is a pretty good working definition of music. But even just the, what we've talked about right now, there's actually a couple things that we've said that some people would disagree with. Okay. And and not just you know random people that you know, have an opinion. I'm talking about like big philosophers. Can, can I guess one? Uh, you can, sure. Organization. Organization is a big one. And so is so is the idea of a creator, right? Because mm-hmm. okay. okay. a lot of people, especially in the 20th century, yeah. there came to prominence this kind of idea that we maybe we should question the idea of music being something that is created and something that's enjoyed by mm-hmm. a listener. 
and Schoenberg. which which Schoenberg, John Cage, yeah. uh, Terry Riley, some other composers will get into. But that's a really significant development because rewinding a little bit, going back, you can probably tell what is music. This is actually getting at quite a philosophical question. Mm-hmm. It's not just as simple as oh well, let's just describe some mechanics of how music is made. Mm -hmm. Because people will quibble with that definition because they'll say, well, what about birdsong? Is that music, right? It's not being created by a human. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily being performed for a human audience intentionally. But Mm -hmm. a lot of people would consider that to be music. And I I, I remember that Schubert would would go into the forest and he would dictate them. A lot of composers yeah, have done that. Yeah. Schubert did that. Haydn did that. The most famous was Olivier Messiaen in the early 20th um, century. Messiaen? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he, how is it actually pronounced? I think it's Messiaen, but I, I don't believe know. You. I believe I don't know. I Any French you. speakers can correct um, me because I'm not good at that. To, to clarify to the listener, too, what we, what we mean by dictate, I really mean notate, as in mm-hmm. these composers went out, listened to birds, and you know that, that, that thing called sheet music, like the stabs mm-hmm. and the lines and stuff? They would literally write mm-hmm. the bird. They would write that out in sheet music. Yeah, and yeah. and a lot of, a lot of this is actually something that many composers have done throughout the years. Um, and it's a pretty big element in a lot of very mm-hmm. famous pieces, probably yeah. most notably Haydn's Creation, mm. uh, which is a huge oratorio, it's performed a lot, and a lot of cool. people have really loved it. That awesome. piece has a lot of that kind of awesome. like imitating nature. Yeah, very cool. But kind of getting back on topic, to talk about the philosophical question of what is music, there's kind of two areas we can discuss here. The first is, historically, what have been some of the prevailing philosophies about what music is and then more recently what are the some of the diversions from that that more recent philosophers have suggested because pre like 1920 or so or maybe even earlier pre pre like 1890 we'll say the idea of music philosophy was much more concerned with how music affects people romantic and also more concerned with music as a physical object Mm. as opposed to music as an experience or Mm. something that is ephemeral. Mm -hmm. Because so much of music was tied up in, we can't play this unless we have a score. Yeah. In Western music. In in Western music, yeah. Yeah. To clarify, I'm talking about Western music here. Mm -hmm. And so with basically all music philosophy before 1890, it can be kind of summed up with a few exceptions in terms of, it's philosophy that's concerning music as an object. Okay. Either an object that happens once in time, like a specific performance, mm-hmm. or a physical object like a score, a piece of music. Okay. And so the creators of music were often considered kind of like the creators of visual art mm-hmm. because they're creating a product that can be seen and appreciated by people. And, and the experience of appreciating that art is not as important as the process of creating it and the actual physical object itself. Mm-hmm. And that, we have so many important philosophical treatises about music that come from sort of this background of thinking mm-hmm. about music as an object. It wasn't really until recording technology and the 20th century and a lot of 20th century philosophy that we get a lot more people thinking about music in terms of music as an experience. Either because you are performing it and playing music is definitely an experience, or because you as the audience are listening very intently because now we can listen to one performance and then listen to another performance immediately afterwards 
with a recording. Mm-hmm. And, and so and so this idea of music music as an experience has been really, really big in the 20th and 21st centuries. Yeah. That's when, no, it's no coincidence that that's when we're starting to see the rise of things like ethnomusicology, which mm-hmm. is comes from anthropology, mm-hmm. the study of how people behave around music, how different cultures create music together and more to do with behavior than traditional historical musicology, uh, yeah. which is typically more concerned with physical objects, mm-hmm. like instruments, scores, yeah. paintings, that kind of thing. When it comes to the Western classical tradition, one thing that I've thought about is the length of pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it seems almost, you know, this might be an interesting graph, that mm-hmm. the size of pieces from, like, let's say 1700 to 1890 kind of got longer and and then maybe at the end of the 1800s kind of tapered but I'm thinking of like Haydn's Messiah being super long or just a symphony in general is you sitting there for about 40 minutes you know and listening to a piece of music I've always thought how surprising that is you know from our point of view to think about a listener listening to the same piece for 40 minutes in terms of attention span. Mm-hmm. But you have to consider too, if you are to listen to Beethoven's Ninth, mm-hmm. you and me could do it in about 15 seconds from right now. We could grab our phones or that computer, that oh, computer yes, right there. Yes. We, have, and we could we, access it yeah, in 15 we seconds. Could, we could access yeah. it in 15 seconds. Now, someone back then only heard music when it was performed live. Yes. So. You know, that, that 40 minutes of sitting in that symphony might be the 40 minutes of music that they really hear that quarter. Or maybe that, month, that year. Or maybe, maybe that for year. five years. Seriously. Yeah, that's definitely you know? true. That's definitely uh, it, true. Versus how, you know, where we are now. Yeah. And I don't think it's an understatement to say that recording technology has been one of the most, if not the most influential technological development for the history of music in human history. Totally. regardless of genre or country yeah because, recording technology because yeah. the ability to access something that by definition is ephemeral yeah whenever we want wherever we want mm. with the tap of a button really yeah, yeah. that's i Nowadays. mean yeah. you can't overstate the importance of that to people's consumption of music and and, and everyone alive on this planet is basically all they know everyone alive now well, m- the majority of people alive now have yeah, experienced the majority recording people alive technology now. their whole life. And, and that's basically what they know of music, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That, like when they think of music, they think of listening mm-hmm. to a recording. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, a lot of people. Yeah. And that's why I think it's fascinating to talk about this shift between thinking of music as an object to thinking of music as an experience. Okay. Because it is, it is true that a recording of a piece of music is kind of an object, mm-hmm. right? Especially if we're talking about something like an LP MP3 or file. a CD. Yeah. But even more, uh, the same with MP3 files or, mm-hmm. or streaming or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, but at the same time, it's also an experience when you press play and listen to it. So I think it's interesting to talk about both of these ways of talk, of thinking about music, both as an object, but also as something that is created to be an experience that people do together okay. or listen together. So what's the big change? So I think that you know, a lot of people have a lot of opinions on what the big change is. So okay. I don't want to sit here and claim to know the one reason that yeah. there was such a huge change. Mm-hmm. But I think that part of it did have to do with recording technology. Mm-hmm. I think that part of it also had to do with a shift in philosophy more broadly 
in mm-hmm. the 20th century away from let's we, let's say enlightenment era objectivity and yeah. scientific inquiry and more towards a i guess we could call it postmodern mm-hmm. view of the world um, that has more to do with subjective experience and more to do with observing phenomenon mm-hmm. instead well experiencing phenomenon instead of observing yeah. them yeah. and that to me that to me is a fascinating shift and to get into that we let's go back to the question we asked at the very beginning what is music we answered it's something a, a definition you could use that i think is correct in a lot of ways is something that is created by a person and and or enjoyed by another person a listener okay so we've got a creator and a listener and this piece of music is created intentionally to be music and is organized in some form or fashion. Mm-hmm. So let's take that working definition of music and pick it apart a little bit. The easiest thing to pick apart is the organization side of it, right? Okay. Let's say if we listen, if we turn on a radio or, or go to a streaming service and just click shuffle, if we hear a song, you and I, we're experienced musicians. If we listen to it, odds are we're gonna get the organization of the piece within seconds Mm -hmm. we're going to be able to hear oh this is a five going to a one here i can hear that this is a verse this is a chorus this is a bridge time signature Mm -hmm. information how how fast or slow it is you and i we can understand that organization immediately Mm -hmm. and probably describe it all very precisely yeah even someone that has no musical training if they listen to music that is from a genre they recognize they will understand the organization of it even if they can't precisely describe what they're hearing in words they will mm-hmm. feel familiar with it they will understand it they can probably tell you what the verse and chorus is mm-hmm. even if they don't have the musical vocabulary to say other things mm-hmm. what happens when we come to a piece of music that is composed by someone who intends it to be music and that person intends for the listener to perceive it as music but the organization of the piece is such that if you're the listener, you can't understand it, right? And I'll use an example for this. Okay. A very famous piece that employed this kind of tactic is John Cage's very famous piece, Four Minutes and 33 Seconds, which if you haven't heard of it, anyone um, listening at home hasn't heard okay. of it, it's a piece that is scored for a performer to get up and on whatever instrument, set a timer, for four minutes and 33 seconds and play nothing the whole time. So there's no organization that uh, an audience is going to be uh, able to understand. I might go as far as to say it's, we're talking about the 50s. This is 1952, yes. It's a precursor to a meme, maybe? (laughs) A precursor to a meme, maybe. But, well, and now it's easy for us to think about how silly this must have been. Yeah, it's irony on top of irony. Mm -hmm, Yes, but, John Cage, he's famous for many other things, and his aesthetic of music was totally different than a lot of music that we mm. understand now. But the purpose behind this piece wasn't that, oh, silence is music. That's not the point. The point is, four minutes and 33 seconds is a long enough time that people in the audience are going to start rustling, moving around, getting uncomfortable, thinking to themselves, when is he going to start playing? I don't understand what's going on. Maybe whispering to each other, maybe Mm -hmm. even just having a conversation and talking. So the piece of music is actually all of the ambient noises that the audience makes, the performer makes, the wind makes, the rain, whatever is going on. And so it's a piece of music that's composed of all the sounds that the audience makes while they're waiting for something to happen. 
And yeah. it's it's a fascinating thing because you can't, as the composer, you can't compose what the yeah. audience is going to do in that moment. But it was intentional. It was intentional. And every time that piece of music is you know, performed, performed, quote unquote, it's, it's going to be totally different yeah, because totally every different. audience is going to react in a different way, depending on the size, the, you know, the cultural context, mm -hmm. whatever. So this is, this is clear, a piece of music that John Cage intended to be music. He intended for the audience to think that it's music, mm -hmm. but there's no organization that the audience can understand. So a big philosophical question is, is this piece of music music? Yeah. Is it music? The, the first place I go is it undoubtedly had intention mm -hmm. and it was planned mm -hmm. and it was planned to be received. Yes. So it has so everything. So it's ticking I mean, all the boxes. The, the, the boxes it doesn't hit is necessarily notes and rhythm. Yeah. But, but that's an organization thing. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, could, could you notate it? Sure. You, you know, could, I mean, yeah. if, if, if you listen to the recording and you're like, I'm going to make a staff for every different sound mm -hmm. and put like a like a like a, you know, percussion uh, score and put X's on mm -hmm. cough here, sneeze you know, here, whispering sneeze here, here, half note for a sneeze, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. something like that. You could you could you, take, could, you right? could take a recording of any specific performance of that piece mm -hmm. and you could create a transcription for it. Yeah, you could create some kind of score. It would be weird. It would be weird, and yeah. you would you would never get people to perform it the same way yeah. again. Yeah, but you absolutely could write it down. Yeah, how would you do a time signature? Yeah, I don't you know. wouldn't be. That's able fun. To. That's fun. That's fun to think about. But yeah, so it, it it checks all the boxes. So it checks all the boxes. But when John Cage composed this piece, it was super mm. controversial. Yeah. a lot of his friends actually like stopped being his friend because of this piece and because of some of his other philosophies about chance in music. He alienated a lot of his, like, his friends straight up were like, because you've done this, mm. we can't be friends anymore because I don't think that you are intelligent. People really thought that about him at the time. His ideas were so, so controversial. And to a lot of people, they continued to be controversial. Yeah. Like even when mm. I brought up this piece, people that know it in the music world, it's kind of a meme, it's kind of a joke, yeah. it's kind of funny. And the irony is totally there, mm -hmm. but, the seriousness of John Cage's aesthetic kind of gets lost over mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. At the time, it was totally dead serious. People perceived it that way yeah. and they hated it. They couldn't bear it. And so a lot of people at that time, and even today, would say, oh, well, this piece isn't music. Because it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't even have yeah. instruments. Yeah. So I'm, my goal today is not to say, oh, this is or isn't music, because I think that there's something mm. special about music that goes beyond just definitions. Yeah. And so I think, you know, if people listening at home want to go and listen to a recording of this, go and watch a YouTube video because it's fun to watch people squirm in their seats a little bit. And just think to yourself, would I think that, would I say that this is music or not? And maybe challenge yourself to think of why you would make that decision. I got it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, just a, a general question in terms of time. How much... Mm -hmm. Because I have I have a lot of questions on mm -hmm. this. Yeah. What are we at a good time for questions or do you have yeah, more? Yeah, this more to this go is on? a great time for questions. Okay, I guess my my next question is what happens if we take away another variable? Okay. So and, and the variable I'm thinking of is um, I'm gonna say it. 
I'm going to say it. I'm really sorry, but I'm not sorry. So talking about there's the a Radiohead song. Oh, okay. No, the, but I was going to get okay. there, but you're good. Well, no, I'm just saying that, that, that there's one Radiohead song that ends with recordings of bird chirping. I think it mm -hmm. starts with the recording of bird chirpings and mm -hmm. it ends with the recording of bird chirpings. I think I, I'm going to safely say that that is part of the piece. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's it's pre-recorded. It was put in by a human. Mm -hmm. It was organized more so than the thing we just talked about, but mm -hmm. more so than the John Cage. Yeah, definitely. Because it was more it was recorded. Yes. It was actually recorded. Um, if we go across the street to the Laura Bush um, Park and we sit and listen to all the birds around us and stuff, is that music? So what you're getting at is, the, what the, if we the, take away the creator? The creator. If we the take human away, creator. If we take away a human creator, yeah. can it still be classified as music? Because in a sense, birds do organize their, their sounds, right? Absolutely. So, so it's not yeah. that only a human can create organized sounds, right? Yeah, yeah. Because birds do this, all lots of other animals do this as well. Uh, do, do you, you notice know? that your cat will meow at the same pitch? Well, and that's what I was For just so, about to yeah. say. My cat has specific meows that he makes depending on what he wants from me. Yeah, you know, absolutely. he has like a cry for, yeah. oh, I want food. He has, and anyone with a pet knows yeah. that oh, their, yeah, their pet does this all yeah. the time. You know, whales make different mm -hmm. sounds when they're talking to each other in different ways. So do dolphins, so do insects, you know, crickets chirp at different mm -hmm. frequencies depending on how cold or hot it is outside. Animals absolutely create sound with organization. Mm -hmm. So by that definition, it's totally reasonable to say that the bird song is music. It's expression. It's expression. Because it's, it's not human. It's an expression. And if a human is perceiving it as expression, mm, mm, then okay. maybe that human perceives it as music. That that that's that's where you could hold the argument. Mm -hmm. Because because to me it's really hard to hold the argument that that a human didn't produce it. Mm -hmm. But if a human's receiving it, mm -hmm. the human element's still there. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's why I, I I get that. I would say for to to me personally, it seems like the you need either a creator or a listener. Okay. Not necessarily both. Gotcha. Some people would say you need no, both. I, I I get that. Mm -hmm. I I I know um, Tom Morello, who is the guitarist for Regine's the Machine. Mm -hmm. He said that he got to a point where to get inspiration, he would go on walks, mm -hmm. and in his in his inspiration would be sounds from outside. Yeah. Uh, he, he can make a helicopter sound, mm -hmm. you know, th things yeah. like that. And so many, many composers do this. Yeah, oh, uh, yeah, There's of a really yeah. famous video of Terry Riley, the postmodern kind of avant-garde minimalist composer mm -hmm. in the 1960s and 70s. He wrote a very famous piece called In C, which is mm. the pieces, the form of it is completely determined by the performers. They decide how fast or slow it should go. They decide how long it should be, which means if you look up any performance of NC, is going to be totally different depending mm -hmm. on who's playing, what mm -hmm. instrument they're playing, whatever. He was very famous for being influenced by some Middle Eastern and Indian gamelan. philosophy. I was just thinking of Gamelan. Yeah, well, and also especially South Asian philosophy yeah. around cycles and repetition. Yeah, yeah. He was very influenced by that. And he, there's this really famous video of him talking to, I think it was a documentary crew that mm -hmm. was interviewing him, and they said, like, oh, what do you think? I, I don't remember the exact question, but it was, to the, it was to the effect of, what do you think music is? How do you get inspiration? And he would say, I think that every sound that exists is music. 
Okay. I will. I'll, he'll, he says, "I'll leave my my window open and I'll listen to this the noise of people walking and cars moving and horns blaring and whatever." And to me, all of it is music. I get it. That that's a toughie. But as we said before, there's a human receiver. Mm-hmm. There's a perce- there's a perceiver. And and I love mm-hmm. silence. And what I mean by silence is I love not listening to music. Mm-hmm. You know, I love going outside and not listening to music. I like working out at the gym and not listening to anything, mm-hmm. and just noise. It's listening right. to the okay. ambient sounds. Wow. Yeah. So getting back to because. You love Radiohead, and I don't want to forget. Yeah, come on, come on. So John John Cage, getting back to John Cage, he was super famous, extremely influential. A lot of his musical techniques and compositional techniques were actually borrowed later by the same people that effectively canceled him for using them, Mm. Uh, like Yanis Shinakis and uh, Arnold Schoenberg hated his music, Billy Barrett, um, a couple of other other famous people of that time. Um, but then, then a lot of them borrowed his chance music That's compositional weird. tools because yeah. they realized it's cool and people like it. That's but anyway, so he has influenced a huge amount of people, both in sort of classical music and then also in popular music and then also in dance because he had a very close relationship with an avant-garde dancer named Merce Cunningham who was responsible for a lot of similarly uh, inflammatory dance compositions okay. around that time. But uh, some of his the people that he influenced include Frank Zappa, yeah. A lot. He Frank Zappa was big on John Cage. He was very fascinated by his music, and uh, oh, what's the other one I'm thinking of? His name just like escaped my mind. Is the Radiohead guy? Um, no. Well, uh, yes, Radiohead. That's yeah, what I'm getting Johnny to. Greenwood. I'm getting to Radiohead. But there was another one. Oh, I can't remember. It's uh, it's left my mind. Okay. But um, there was another famous uh, rock musician yeah. in the '80s that was he worked very closely with John Cage, mm-hmm. and they did a lot of music together. Bowie. I, it wasn't David. It wasn't David Bowie. Uh, yeah. <sighs> Man, it's gonna annoy me until I remember, yeah, but yeah, I'll yeah, I'll yeah. put I it in the you. description because you. it's a very famous um, yeah. uh, rock music guitarist, mm-hmm. and a lot of popular musicians were very fascinated by John Cage's approach to music, yeah. because popular music, by definition, is more concerned with expression and doing whatever I think sounds cool than with I want to continue on this really long hundreds of years old tradition that other people started mm-hmm. a long time yeah. ago. And John Cage clearly did not care very much for tradition <laughs> because he went very mm-hmm. against it. And Radiohead, Radiohead are definitely, uh, they've said themselves that they've been influenced yeah. by John Cage's cool. compositional techniques. Very cool. So for some further reading, if you at home are interested, um, I have a couple of articles and a couple of books that I will link that are pretty fascinating. I have them divided up into kind of difficulty of reading level because a lot of philosophy materials can be very dense and yeah, hard to get yeah, through. Yeah, so um, the I, I've got a couple of good philosophy phenomenology articles that I think are pretty accessible. And then I also have a biography of John Cage that I think is pretty cool. fascinating. I think anyone would like to read it, even if you aren't a music is he scholar. American? John Cage, yes. yes he was American. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Awesome. What is next? Next week we're going to talk about what makes good music. Today we talked about what makes music music, kind of philosophically. Cool. Why do we like it? What is it? That kind of thing. Next week, we're going to talk about what makes good music. Major seven chords? <laughs> well, we'll get into it. <laughs> That's Rodman's decision. Okay, All right. awesome. Fantastic. Okay, signing off. Thank you, everyone. Engage. Engage.